0: What's going on, everybody? My name is Patrick. And my name is Luke. And this is Comets in Medicine. We're two seniors here at UTD who are just
1: finishing up the 2022 medical school application cycle.
0: On this podcast, we'll be talking about the process of applying to medical school and providing relevant advice, resources, and information to increase your chances of success.
1: We'll share our own experiences, interview exceptional alumni and students, and empower you to become successful Comets in Medicine.
0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us on this installment of Comets in Medicine. Today, we're going to be talking about everything MCAT. Unfortunately, we had a couple of technical difficulties. So the first part is going to be a discussion between Luke and a phenomenal UTD alum named Mina Gurgis. That'll be the first 20 minutes of the podcast. And then, because we had some technical difficulties, we're going to fill in the gaps of that conversation, just Luke and I, so that you guys have a complete picture about everything you need to know to be successful on the MCAT. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you all for joining us on this installment of Comets in Medicine. Today, we are going to be talking about MCAT strategies. And I will hand it off to Luke to introduce our special guest.
1: Awesome, Patrick. So today we've got with us Mina Gurgis. He is a UTD alum and a current M1 at UT Southwestern Medical School. Mina was one of my good friends in college and has mentored me through a lot of the pre-med world. So I'm really excited to have him on our podcast today. Mina, welcome. Uh, hey, Luke. and hey Patrick. Thank
2: you, guys. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, like Luke said, I'm a current first year at UT Southwestern um, and I graduated from UTD in 2021. Um, so, I guess just a little bit about me is I got uh, a double major in biology and healthcare management. Um, I spent, I'm a very traditional student. I spent four years at UTD, applied kind of straight through, and then, uh, you know, hopefully four years at Southwestern until whatever comes next.
1: That's super exciting. Well, we're really excited to have you with us today. So today we'll be talking about the MCAT, all the ins and outs of it. And Patrick is going to interview Mina and I Mina and I, and our study strategies. But before we get into that, Patrick, could you just give us an overview of the MCAT?
0: I would absolutely love to. Okay, so the MCAT is broken down into four broad sections. The MCAT is the medical school admissions exam. You need to take it. Most schools require it. The four sections are chemical and physical foundations of biological systems, critical analysis and reasoning skills, biological and biochemical foundations of living systems, psychological, social, and biological foundations of behavior. It's a lot of words, but it really boils down to these four, chemistry and physics, reading comprehension and analysis, biochemistry and biology, and then psychology, neuroscience, and sociology. With that in mind, I'm just gonna go ahead and dive in and start asking you all some questions. So I'll start off with you, Mina. When did you take the MCAT?
2: So I took mine, um, it was, I think it was August 17th or 18th, about mid-August, right right before my uh, junior year started. Um, so between sophomore and junior year, I studied for it kind of that entire summer, about three months.
1: And Luke? Yeah, kind of similar. I took it right after my sophomore year in that summer. So I, I think I took the exam a couple of weeks before my junior year
0: started. Got you. How many, how many months of preparation did you guys have for your exams and how much would you recommend in case the numbers are different?
2: Uh, so mine was almost exactly three months from about mid-May to about, uh, mid-August. And I think, Obviously, it depends on everyone's situations, whether you're full-time or part-time studying. I think three months of full-time studying was a good amount for me, any more than that, and I think I just would have been exhausted and burnt out.
1: Yeah, I think that's good advice. Um, I studied for a little longer than Mina did because of COVID. Um, I just kind of had the time, and there wasn't anything else for me to be doing because it was, like, right in the middle of COVID lockdown so i ended up hitting about four months of practice of preparation um but i will say that was excessive like i i was struggling to keep myself in the range of scores that i was in by the time i got to the last four weeks so i think like obviously everybody's different and you're gonna have to adjust this to your own situation i think if you are full-time studying three months is like a, a general average for people If you're part-time studying, it's probably going to be a little bit longer if you're doing that like during a semester and you're only studying like a few hours a day or something like that. um, It's definitely going to look like a longer period of time. We'll get into that, I think, here in a little bit. But that's kind of how we approached it.
0: And branching off of that, since both of you guys took your MCAT before your junior year, did you take biochemistry before you took the MCAT concurrently? Would you recommend taking it before you take the MCAT?
1: Yeah, so for those of you guys that don't know, um, biochem, for most people, is like the one class that is keeping them from taking the MCAT. So in your first two years, especially at UTD, you'll have taken the Gen Chem, the O Chem, the Biology, probably the Psychology as well, although that's easier to self-study. But the general thing that keeps people back is going to be that biochem course. Um, I think Mina and I both had actually had different experience with this one, if I'm
0: correct.
2: Uh, yes. So the first exposure I had to biochemistry was actually on the MCAT. Um, now, it ended up being one of my better sections. Um, and so I personally am of the opinion that with the content knowledge that the MCAT requires for biochemistry specifically, you don't need the course that UTV offers. I think that you know most of the outcat comes down to amino acids, which at the end of the day you have to self-study anyways. Um, nobody can just put them into your head; you just have to memorize them. Um, enzyme kinetics and uh, you know things like that, which I think there are plenty of out, kind of outside resources that are better, uh, not necessarily better, but. Very, very effective at teaching you uh, off the top of my head, uh, AK lectures on YouTube. Sorry, I know there's a research section later, but things like that, I think, make it definitely feasible to self-study uh, the biochemistry. So you don't really need to have taken the course, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, so what I did, I had taken biochem before I took the MCAT. I was a little ahead of my coursework, but I will say, I think that it is definitely doable to self-study the, the biochem Um And especially when you look at something that's like, okay, you're going to have to learn enzyme kinetics, you're going to have to learn the amino acids. Beyond that, I'm like, most of it isn't, you're not going to have to know it at that biochem level, you're going to know it at what you learned, like in bio one, as far as the Krebs cycle goes and all of that. But as far as knowing that on like the, the very deep level that you study those processes on in biochem one, I, I don't think it's necessary. So for me, was it helpful that I had taken it before? Sure. Like I was very solid on that section. I had taken the class. I had been an SI leader for it. So sure. It's really helpful to have introduction to that material earlier, but I wouldn't let that one class keep you from trying to take it, a little earlier
0: if that's when it's going to work best for you. So Mina, what did your study plan look like?
2: Um... Uh, sure. So I think I, I probably finished my semester and, you know, this has been three, two or three years ago, so I don't know the exact dates, but I finished the semester kind of early to mid-May. I took about a week or two off just to, you know, spend time with my family, taking an actual break on vacation. And then I kind of jumped full-time into studying. So, um, and luke i think you and i had a very similar approach so i'll kind of help you a little bit when i say this um i think your studying should kind of be spent in in kind of two to three major phases the first is just cramming as much content as you need into your head the second is you know getting through as much practice as you want and then that like third is using the amc material and so i basically spent the month of may just doing that first step just finishing as much content as i could uh then I went into practice, um, and obviously we'll talk resources later, but um, I did as much practice as I could kind of during the month of June and about the early, like kind of first half of July, um, and then I spent that last month just using the AMC material to review until I tested in about mid-August.
1: And Luke? Yeah, so I had taken, I think I had a bit of an extended approach, like I said, to Mina, but very similar. Um we both did this full, like, did full self study um, with basically three phases. Of my first section, I wanted to cover the content. So I used some review books, went through those. Then I started adding in practice questions. I had like a middle phase where all I did was practice questions and then brush up content as needed. Um, and then that final, you know, month or so, is when I was exclusively doing the AMC material and working towards taking the test. Um, some of the terminology here, just to clarify, the AMC material, we're talking about things that are provided from the people who make the test. So AMC provides, makes the MCAT, and they also provide a bunch of material that you can purchase and use on their website, and that's kind of the cream of the crop in terms of prep material, and we'll get into the specifics of that here in a second, I believe.
2: Uh, and I will say, just kind of, sorry, just jumping off what you said, Luke, how you took a kind of extended approach. I think the biggest difference between us is, if I'm not mistaken, you took a very, like, I want to review as much as I can kind of approach to your content phase. I admittedly rushed through my content phase. I didn't really touch up on things like OCam and GenCam that I felt strong enough on. I figured that during my practice question phase, I would kind of get through all of that on my own. And so I think that's kind of where the discrepancy lies and how long we each took.
0: If you guys had to advise someone who is trying to design their own study plan, are there any other additional tips that you would want them to consider aside from the three-phase approach that you guys have both mentioned?
1: Yeah, so I think that the first thing you have to do is figure out when you're going to take the exam. Um, You know, we talked about either taking it, we talked about both of us taking it after our sophomore year. I think the most common time to take it is sometime during your junior year. so you're, realistically, you're either going to take it over your, so, your sophomore summer break if you're a traditional applicant. So if you're somebody who is saying, I'm going to go straight to medical school after undergrad. If you're planning on taking a gap year, that is amazing. Um, please take gap years. Those are not bad. Those are good. Um, then you might think, you know, push everything we're saying up a year. So then you might think about taking it the summer after your junior year. Um, but for most people who are traditional, it's going to be summer after sophomore year or it's going to be winter break, or it's going to be early summer after junior year because of the way that the admission cycle works. So yeah, pick a time, I think, is the first step. You know, what would you say, like, is the best time to take the MCAT, or is there a best time at all to take the MCAT?
2: I think that each comes with its own kind of positives and negatives. Um, So like Luke said, there's kind of two or three major ones. I think that You know, when you and I took it kind of at the end of the summer between sophomore and junior year, we talked about kind of the pitfall of you probably don't have biochem. Um, You may not have other classes or just like you may not have just had as much experience in general. And so there's something to be said for the fact that you are kind of uh, there's a disadvantage there, but there's also the advantage that you have three months of theoretically full time to dedicate to the outcome. Obviously, many people have work and family and other commitments, but... um, this is three months where you may not have any classes to deal with. Um, In my opinion, that makes it one of the best because of the fact that you don't have to juggle classes as well. Um, That said, obviously there are arguments to be made. I think that the most kind of practical would be taking it in January, like during your junior year. And I think that's because you still get about a month of dedicated study time during kind of winter break although you'd have to sacrifice your Christmas, so I apologize. Um, but then you know, you have biochem, you have some time to practice. If you're dedicated through the semester, you can do that. And so I think that those are two of the best options. I think there's also technically at the end of junior year some time, but that, is, that comes with its own cons of just, you don't really have any dedicated study time. And, and this is in my opinion, the most important, if you don't get the score that you want and you do need to retake, it becomes very, very hard to find a time. And so I guess I should say for a traditional applicant, you could retake, but you have maybe a month to do it and still get your application out on time. And so I think that it comes with its own challenges and obstacles. So I wouldn't push my MCAT to be too late, like April or May of the year I apply, unless you really have to.
1: Yeah, I think that having the opportunity to retake is a huge, huge deal. Um, you know, don't look at taking the MCAT twice as a bad thing. Um, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, and giving yourself the time to do it is going to make this entire process less stressful because you can walk in there on test day and know that it's not it's not the end of your app cycle if you don't do well. You're still going to get another shot or two shots at doing this before you have to submit those applications. You know you, you're going to have to wait and weigh this and balance this with what your strengths are, what your situation is, and how to approach. If you want to have the most dedicated time to study, doing it over the summer is just the only time that we as college students have to do that. If you're wanting to not do it during the summer, maybe you have some other activities you're going to be doing, something else that's building your application, some other sort of experience that's important to you, then, yeah, you can take it during a semester. I would recommend engineering your course schedule so that you have a light semester that fall of your junior year. So that you can have the time to study, but you're going to have to be disciplined to put in those hours day after day while juggling other things. So, you know, you're really going to have to, to, to weigh this and figure it out. Now, the other thing we haven't talked about here is taking courses. So a lot of people will take like a Princeton offers one or Kaplan Blueprint offer these like structured courses that help people with content review and test prep. So that is also another option and something you would have to look into as to when you would take the course and when you would study. Most people that I know who have done that have taken that that Princeton course and then given themselves a little bit more time after it ends to kind of self-study and brush up and then taking the MCAT. So take that into account as well. Um, i'll say oh sorry um i will say kind of on the subject of
2: taking those courses it's important to keep in mind what you're going to get out of them and kind of what you're putting into them it's important to kind of write out like what do you want going into this does the course actually provide it and i admittedly am not a big fan of taking these courses um and so i I do have a relatively negative opinion of them and i hope that you know that's clear as i speak that i'm not unbiased here um but that being said I know people who've done incredibly well having taken a course. I know people who've done incredibly well having not taken a course and the opposite. And so um, obviously you'll get in what you put out or you'll, yeah, you'll get out what you put in. um, But just keep in mind that the course forces, it doesn't force you on a structure, but it kind of does its best to keep you on their structure. Um, And so if that works for you, great. It doesn't work for me. I'm a very kind of, I study how I want to study. And if someone tries to
0: disrupt that, I get annoyed. And so, yeah. So, continuing our conversation about specific resources that you can use for the MCAT, I would love to just talk about some resources that I've heard around campus um, and get your opinions on them. So, UWorld, thoughts? Uh, so, I,
2: I can start out and just give us a little bit of added context. So, UWorld is kind of named after the USMLE, hence the kind of U in UWorld, um, because it started out as a USMLE uh, resource. And I will tell you guys, for you know, step one and step two of your board exams, it is the resource. Every medical student I've spoken to has said, I've done UWorld or I'm doing UWorld or some variation of that because it's very good. A lot of medical schools offer it free as kind of an incentive because it's so high quality. And so UWorld for the MCAT, I used, I paid, I think, $300 for And I would tell people, if it's 3000 it's worth it. Um, yeah.
1: And aside from the AAMC provided material, it is... My opinion and almost anyone who has ever taken the MCAT's opinion that these questions are the best quality that you can find outside of the actual AAMC provided stuff. Now, that being said, they are difficult. Um, I would say that UWorld questions are typically I would say are going to represent like the upper quartile of difficulty that you might see on the MCAT. So that can be really frustrating for people at first. I think the other thing that's overwhelming with Uworld is there's just so many questions. Um, so, Mina, did you do all of Uworld? Did you part of it? What was your approach to that?
2: Um, so, I technically did all of Uworld, but that being said, I know they are frequently adding questions. So, I did all of Uworld from when I had Uworld, which was somewhere around 1950 questions. Um, nowadays, I think that might be like 90% of Uworld.
1: Cool. Yeah. I actually didn't finish Uworld. I think I I was like a few hundred questions short or something, Um, but I just I didn't feel that spending time just to finish it was worth it for me, Um, because I was approaching it as as a as a practice material, not as like a comprehensive review, right? So um, we talked about these three phases of our study cycle: so phase one being content review, phase two being practice, phase three being test-taking or AMC material, UWorld was phase two almost holistically for me. So it is, in my opinion, it's the best resource outside of the actual certified AMC stuff.
2: I completely agree with that. And I would just add, uh, my phase two wasn't entirely UWorld, but I saved it to the very end. Um, And this kind of comes down to My approach when I took the exam was basically, or not when I took the exam, when I was prepping for the exam, I should say. Um, My mindset was basically, because I skipped kind of a lot of the stuff that Luke did in the content phase, um, I used kind of Kaplan-Princeton. I used Princeton because it was cheaper, but I used kind of one of those kind of generic question resources. Went through it very briefly, and I used that to kind of figure out what topics I needed to review. But when I was like hardcore studying, getting used to questions, UWorld was number one. UWorld is, is king
1: already, guys. So at this time, unfortunately, our interview with Mina gets cut short due to some technical difficulties. So we're going to transition now into an interview between Patrick and I that's going to finish out the rest of this content. If you have any questions, again, we we would really encourage you to reach out to us at our email. Here's that final section that talks about the rest of the MCAT.
0: Okay, Luke. So tell me about this AAMC material.
1: Yeah, so... The AAMC material is practice material provided by the American Association of Medical Colleges. They're the people who make the MCAT and control the admissions cycle process and lots of other things physician-wide. I mean, physician-wise around the country, it's a big lobbying group, um, kind of professional group, etc. Anyways, it's official. It's by the same people who make the test. So that means that it is exactly the kind of questions that you're going to see on the exam. Now, some of these questions are harder than others. Um, for example, um, like typically the section bank has been considered to be maybe in that kind of like upper 25% of difficulty for questions that you might actually see on the MCAT, whereas some of the question packs might be a little more mi- middle of the road. Um, so there's going to be resources that are just kind of like, I think there's probably a few hundred questions that they provide just kind of on their own. And there's also, I think there's five full links. Now they added one um, after we took it. Yeah. And then there's the sample test as well, which is free. Fun fact. Mm. Um, So those exams are really kind of your big, big benchmarks that you want to be really smart about how you use them. yeah So most people, well, like I took my, I took the sample after I did content review. So after the, after phase one, um, you will do horribly, like, don't, don't sweat it. Um, my sample test score was 18 points lower than my actual MCAT score. So don't feel bad. <laughs> um, and then most people will then kind of space those guys out throughout. So I took one of the, at the end of content review. Then I took one in the middle of my practice test phase. I took one at the beginning of my AMC material phase. And I took the last two in like the the few remaining weeks before the MCAT. Um, So those are gonna give you a sense of where you're at, how you're doing and It's a real kind of opportunity to see like how you would do on a real MCAT. For most people, their score on the actual MCAT, is gonna be pretty similar to that within a kind of a confidence band range. Hmm. Um, My highest practice test score was a 526 and I got a 523. Um, I, so I did a little worse. Um, Some people will do a little better. Um, And of course there's always situations where somebody will have a really bad day, get really lucky with the questions that they get, um, or get really lucky with the questions they get and have a really great day. Um, So there is some swing, but typically those full-lengths are pretty pretty helpful. So that's the AMC material, and you should save it for the end because you want to kind of not dilute the style of questions that you're going to see by adding in other sources. You kind of want to get, you want to kind of boil it down to just official material. So you're getting really used to how the, the writers write the questions, how they think, what they're looking for.
0: So you mentioned briefly about a practice test phase during phase two for you. So what were the, where did you get your other practice tests? Cause I imagine you were taking one yeah. every week, maybe yeah. two weeks.
1: So there's a, there's a few different ways to go about practice testing. Um, some people will do practice testing in the last kind of very last bit in the last month or two. I did practice tests throughout. So I took one about every week for three months, <laughs> which was a lot, um, but I had the time to do it. So I did it. Some people will take, I've heard people take, um, you know, four practice tests, um, four, five, six—like not as many as I took—but there are lots of options out there. The problem is some of those options are really difficult tests, and some of them are, do not correlate to the MCAT very well at all. Um, in my opinion, the kind of the Princeton Kaplan tests are just not relevant; like they just don't—they aren't helpful at all um, for me. Sorry, Princeton. If you are listening to this, <laughs> um, <And> Kaplan. <laughs> and Kaplan, rest in peace. Um, but like, for my opinion, like Kaplan, I thought was like way too easy, and then all of a sudden they would throw random details at you, and then Princeton was just very hard all across the board and not relevant information at all. Um, but I took those; I did take a couple of those just for endurance purposes. They're not useless, um, but they do get you used to taking an eight-hour exam, which is something that you have to do. So you just be, a, be you know take those scores with a grain of salt. The next step up from those kind of companies that I found was Blueprint MCAT Prep MCAT Prep. They have online exams, which you can buy in packs. I think they have up to 12 or so. They have a bunch. I think I only did four of their exams. I really like Blueprint. I think that they do it, their, their website is set up super well. It gives you great feedback, great statistics on your practice testing. You can see trends and percentages and types of questions you miss. They will even show you like, the content that you tend to miss. Like, it it breaks it down into the literal, like, content sections that the AMC gives you. So, I mean, I, I'm really thankful for the Blueprint stuff. I think their tests are a little more realistic. I don't think they're perfect, um, but they're definitely better, in my opinion, than Princeton Kaplan. Um, there are lots of other practice test sources out there, and I can't speak to all of them because I didn't
0: use all of them. So taking a step back and looking at everything from an aerial view, mm-hmm. you had three major phases to your to your schedule and mm-hmm. that occurred over about four months.
1: Yeah, I would
0: recommend three. Um, recommend but three. I did four. four. Phase one, textbook review. Going over content that you missed, figuring out which areas you really need to focus on. Yep. Then at the end of that, you took a practice exam
1: the AMC, amc sample
0: amc sample yep. then you went into application which was all about the U World question banks mm-hmm. you spaced it out taking a bunch of practice exams yes
1: and reviewing those exams as well
0: reviewing those exams so you were using blueprint and you were also using princeton princeton kaplan exams i
1: think i took one princeton one kaplan and then i took four four or five blueprints um, maybe four. I think it was probably four blueprints. The sample, sorry, it was four blueprints, the sample, and one of the Princeton exams. So I think I did six outside, plus the four, um, the four full weeks, something like that. I don't freaking remember.
0: <laughs> and then into and then into phase three, right? Yeah. What so in phase, phase two, three? I
1: also targeted some of those weaker areas of content. So like I had built in a couple of weeks where I was going to spend half of my day reviewing content again, and those weeks I left open. I didn't decide what content to do until after phase one. And then I said, okay, for me, psych and social is really weak and cars is really weak. So I had, I spent about a week doing intensive cars and a week doing intensive psych social in that practice test phase, kind of like a long time.
0: What did phase three look like?
1: Just the AMC material.
0: Just AMC. You're going through through the exams. I work through,
1: yeah. Weekdays, I work through question banks. And all I, mean, I did everything the question banks, the sample questions, the sample pack, the I mean whatever I don't even remember. There's tons of stuff. I did it all um, and reviewed it. Mm. Um, I would stick with one subject, so I, I had like a cars. I had two weeks of cars. I had a week of bio biochem, a week of chem phys, a week of psychos. So. I think probably was five weeks, but mm. um, and then I just thought I would do like I think I would try and do, I would do like a sections worth. So I'd do sixty questions and then i would review them and i do 60 more questions and i would review them and i did that for as long as my day would hold for those those time periods and then on the weekends i would take a full length so i think i did a couple weeks of i did a couple weeks of just question packs and stuff and then i started working on full length of the full length so i think i took a full length at the beginning of that phase then i waited two weeks and took full length two and then three and four right in succession um i think by the time i got I think my 30th full length was a higher score than my fourth full length um and so once I got to that point where I was seeing this kind of leveling off I was like okay I'm done um and I was I was in a score range that I was really happy with at that point so
0: Mm. okay I I want to give you space a bit to talk about the feedback cycle you went through Mm -hmm. because my math is correct you started off with like about a 500 or so a couple points higher that was yeah. your first exam sure and then you went all the way up to a 523 in the course of three months
1: mm-hmm. well in the now, course of like
0: two months but two
1: two or three yeah
0: it was a really accelerated timeline right sure <clears throat> and part of the reason for that success is because of the way that you handled missing questions mm-hmm. because so many people think that if they get into one of these courses right Kaplan, princeton mm-hmm. and they just get to the end of the course they'll magically just show up on test day and knock it out of the park yeah and that's not the case
1: mm-hmm.
0: talk to me about it
1: yeah so i think the, I mean, the number one most important thing that i did and this sounds crazy um but i got a crazy good score so it's and maybe it wasn't <laughs> but like i um every single question i ever did if i missed it or guessed on it I wrote down why I missed it or guessed on it, even if it was just I was being stupid and didn't read all the answers. Um, and I tried to come up with a somewhat codified system where I was kind of writing consistent things so I could go back into this document and control F or like and see consistencies, right? So, for example, on cars, I would always miss the. Um, like like or as questions, the sim like the simile kind of mm. like comparison questions, I would always miss them. Um and I would and I noticed that because I wrote down I missed this because you know I would wrote it down. Oh, I was thinking differently than they were. Um mm. and I began to notice, oh, I'm missing all the all of these type of questions, right? Um that also goes for content. So like um shoot, what's what I forgot? Um okay I'm, I forgot substitution reactions. You know, I forgot mm. how to do it. And I noticed that, like, oh I missed over the last two weeks, I've missed you know 15 questions about substitution reactions. Okay, let's go review that. Um, yeah. Or like on bio, right? Oh, the answer was in the paragraph was in the reading, I didn't read the reading. or I didn't read the access title correctly. So I thought it was, I thought the graph said something different. I mean just stupid stuff, right? But you know you do so many practice problems, you'll, be able, you'll begin to see the trends, right? Hmm. So you say feedback cycle, it's kind of like, yeah, like, don't waste a question. Um, you read, you do a question, you miss it, you go back and review it. Like, oh yeah, I knew, I know why I missed that. I I was just, you know, whatever. And you keep going and you think you're going to remember that, but you're doing thousands of questions. You're not going to remember it. Um, and you didn't know it because you missed the question and that's going to happen again if you don't do something about it. Hmm. Um, so being, holding yourself really accountable with like, how is my review cycle going? Like, what do I do when I review questions I've already done? That is more important in my opinion than actually doing questions doing questions just tells you where you are. It's just, it's a test. It's like taking your temperature. It doesn't do anything to increase your score. It You're just taking it at a certain point, right? Like, yes, right. initially doing practice questions, your score will naturally increase so you get used to doing them and build stamina. But at a certain point, you're going to level off. And if you want to get better, you're going to have to start finding trends and finding things to focus on. And that's how you, that's how I approach doing that. Is it the only way to do that? No. Is it kind of maniacal? Sure. <laughs> but it it worked really well for me
0: yeah focusing on the weaknesses Mm -hmm.
1: and i will say i think i think there is a real barrier for people anybody who takes the mcat you know in that like there's like kind of walls you'll hit at certain score ranges um and when i kind of hit the wall i was kind of practice testing and hitting the same scores for a few weeks and just could not get better um really going in and digging into my data um the data being my records of missed questions was what helped me push through that that wall and i kind of was able to get a second hump of a kind of a second increase of improvement right but like in the month or so before i took the
0: test so luke you get to test day what does it look like how do you make sure that when you show up to your exam on test day you are optimized you're ready to go what is your mentality Mm -hmm. what tips do you have for our listeners yeah It's going to depend on
1: what kind of person you are. Um, If you're someone who's very confident, um, does well under pressure, et cetera, then this probably won't be too big of a deal for you. You'll probably be able to show up, take care of business and go. Um, So like I said, this depends. If you're somebody who's anxious, um, doesn't do well under pressure, um, maybe struggles with some anxiety or something like that, which I definitely do. um, I decided that my kind of mental prep as far as my mental health went was just as important as the content in some ways. Um, if I wasn't mentally sound, when I wanted to take that test, nothing that I did to prepare mattered. So I did a few things. Um, the first is I had a plan, a very precise plan for what I was going to do on practice day on test day. And I practiced that the day before, um, or even, I think I actually did the week before. And then again, the day before, mm-hmm. just to, to, just so that in that week, I wasn't nervous about it. I knew the drill. So I drove to the testing site. I walked to the door. I looked at the map of the building. Where's the room? How am I going to get there? What am I going to eat? How long does it take me to prepare that? How can I, can I prepare in advance, et cetera? Um, so I had snacks. I had a meal. had it all ready to go. Um, I had a plan for in between each testing phase. So I would take do a section. Uh, you could get to go to the bathroom. I'd run out go to the bathroom. And then I would wash my face with water. I look at myself in the mirror and I kid you not, I would give myself an outlaw, an out loud pump up talk, um, <laughs> which included um, the idea. You got a perfect score on the last section. Forget about it. Let's move on. So I just kind of convinced myself that I aced it. I just like, I just lied to myself and was like, it was amazing. Even if it was horrible, I walked out of one of the sections and I was like, Oh my gosh, I bombed it. Mm-hmm. But I like washed my face. I looked in the mirror. I told myself I crushed it got myself ready to go, created some like false hype for myself. And then I walked back, I ate a chocolate bar, walked back in the room, did the next section. So I kind of got to force yourself to have short-term memory loss. Um, so uh, brainwashing yourself into being positive is important. Um, so yeah, that's really my, my biggest, those are my biggest things. I also kind of had a, like a little mantra. Like I had like something I would kind of repeat to myself when I got nervous. Um, I don't remember what it was, but I can remember having like like a very short kind of thing that I would, that I would like go back to in my head, which was helpful for me when I felt the nerves rising. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, something like this that you study for every three months, you don't want to blow it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that for me, that was almost as big of a battle um, as, as the rest of it was, was having a plan for that and um, having methods to manage.
0: Good. So we're going to, we're going to take a step back again and talk a bit about how the MCAT fits into the whole admissions process. Mm-hmm. What's its role? It, how important is it? Yeah. And so, I'm going to start off. What is a good MCAT score? It's a good question.
1: Um, luckily, there's lots of data out there. Um, TamDAS publishes very in, in depth MCAT score data with acceptance numbers and stuff like that. Um, so does AMCAS. A good MCAT score is a score that will get you into the school you want to go to. Um, So every school is gonna publish their MCAT averages. There is a tool called MSAR. It's the Medical School Admissions Requirements. It is a website put together by AAMC that you pay a small fee to access and you get access to in-depth application data, um, even like percentile ranks of like what percentile of students accepted to this school had this score. So you could see like, oh, at like X school, the 50th percentile or the 75th percentile MCAT score is a 512. Okay, cool. So, like I said, a good MCAT score is something that I is is in the fiftieth percentile ish range of the schools that you want to go to, uh, or maybe even a little lower if, like, because keep in mind that average is an average; it means that people are below and people above. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. I wouldn't push yourself towards these kind of arbitrary numbers unless that's really grounded in um, an institution that you want to go to. Um, I'm not saying that good MCAT scores are bad. Um, but a good MCAT score is when that gets you in, yeah.
0: <laughs> and schools take holistic review seriously. Yeah, they really do. Like there are people who have perfect MCAT scores who don't get into medical school.
1: Absolutely, I mean, you can see them, they're on the data. It's not a ticket. Um, if you look on the requirements, or like the, the um, competencies for medical school, there's one that's listed as, as like knowledge of, bio, of biological systems, um, that's the MCAT in your GPA it's one out of like what four like eight major categories or something like that i think there are three others okay so one out of four major categories so i mean you know it's it's a quarter of what makes up your admissions maybe um but there's a lot out there um you know i know people who who are who are going to the same school that i'm going to that have to have much different mcat scores than i do and that's that's fantastic right yeah
0: um
1: so you know it 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 is important. You, you, know, you don't want it to get it thrown. You don't, you don't want it to get you thrown out of the pile. Um, but it's at the same time, it's not everything. And you should weigh that as you're preparing for it and deciding how much time you want to spend studying for it. Um, you know, I spent oodles of time studying for the MCAT, but because I didn't have anything else to do with myself, it was COVID lockdown. It was summer of 2020. What else was I was going was to do? Hmm. Um, if I could go back, I would probably have taken a little bit of that time and, and done something that I was passionate about. To build my resume and gain new experiences, because that's, in my opinion, almost more important, um, mm. in some ways. So yeah, it's kind of I don't know if that, it's hard to explain, but holistic review, they they do mean it when they say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you get to the interview table and all you have is your MCAT score and your GPA, yeah, you're it's like
1: okay, this person will pass USMLE, but they'll be a horrible doctor. We don't know how good of a doctor you are gonna be. You know, I mean, the MCAT tells you how well you're gonna do on USMLE step one and step two. And that's important to med schools because they want people who are going to score. Well, obviously step one's not pass fail. So things are changing. I don't know how I, I'm not an expert, but I mean, ultimately that's what it tells them. How well can you take tests or how well can you think under pressure? Um, How well can you prepare for something and work, you know, put effort. How, what's your work ethic like? Cause the MCATs are like one of those things that no matter how smart you are, you're going to have to study for it.
0: The last note that we'll mention here is retaking the exam there's a there's a lot of talk about it people yeah. think that if you retake the exam you can't get into medical school not true that is false that is fundamentally false are people who retake the exam multiple times across multiple years yeah we're still able to get into medical school yeah ideally you want to get your perfect score on your first try yeah right it'd Be great, right that's ideal world yeah and, and that's the best case scenario but we all know that that's not always what happens mm-hmm. um and that's okay
1: um like yeah stuff happens it's life life is unpredictable um and also studying for the mcat is hard and sometimes you just can't do as much as you wanted to do you know there's other things you got going on you got school you got whatever else is going on in your life jobs tournament you know trying to get the lights on like it's you know it's tough to do this it really really is hard
0: um you can't cram for the mcat no you can't like most people end up taking the mcat their junior year Mm -hmm. the first two years of medical medical school of undergraduate school yeah you're doing a lot of gen creds yeah you know if, if you want like you probably just cram for most of those exams and be fine not recommending it at all yeah but, I
1: mean, i'm a senior and i'm still cramming for exams
0: <laughs> but the thing is the MCAT is designed so that you cannot cram for it yeah it's a time thing Yeah, it's not just do you know it it's can you recall it after eight hours sitting in a chair yeah um yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in new contexts with other things involved that you had to learn
1: on the spot and reading. Yeah. And so branching
0: off of that, right. A lot of people, if they get their exam back, it's not what they want. Their first instinct is to open up the computer and register for a new test date. That's like a month away. Mm -hmm. Is that the wisest thing to do? Yeah. I mean, mean, it depends. It depends on who you are. It depends
1: on your, it depends on your application cycle and where you're at in it. Um, What, what you think happened. Um, Etc. It's complicated. I'll acknowledge off the bat. I'm not the expert on retaking the MCAT. I never had to do that myself. Um, so I would really recommend finding some other resources and, and talking to people who have dealt with that and gotten in. My general, I think, how I've kind of talked through, some people through this already is you, you've you know your situation is unique. I know I know people who were practice testing really high and then walked in and, you know, in the week before their MCAT, their mental health tanked because they just hit the wall. You know, they'd been pushing themselves for, you know, two months and they, they hadn't having left and they, you know, the mental health went downhill. They started not doing well, walked in to take the exam. They did much worse than they had been practice testing. Um, so if that's you, that's a different situation, right? Like if you're that person, well, you know, that, that, that you might, yeah, schedule a test in a month and you you know, brush up some stuff, stay healthy and take it. And you'll probably do a lot better. Some people, you know, they thought that the prep that they were, they had done was going to be enough. They weren't getting there. They're rushing to get things up. They're studying until the last day before the test, they go take the test and they just didn't, you know, they didn't pull out a magical like jump, you know, Mm. other people get a test that just had a bunch of questions on it. that They didn't know that's going to happen. Um, I never even learned everything on the MCAT. There were questions that I had no idea what the frick was talking about, right? If you happen to get a lot of those, I wouldn't have done this well, right? Um, and so maybe that was the case for you. Um, like I said, I, I can't predict this. I can't, I can't, there's no blanket statement. Um, with the way the application cycle goes, keep in mind that an MCAT, having an MCAT outstanding will delay your application at most universities and they're not gonna, so they're not gonna look at your file until they get that new, that latest MCAT score. Um so, you know, you got to take that into account as well. Go, uh, go listen to so many advice we talked about, about when to apply it is, you know, my usual typical recommendation that ideally you should apply before July. Um, ideally in May, if you can, um, I applied first of June and that was fine. So if you're going to talk about an MCAT score that you're taking in in June or taking in July, you're not going to get that score back for a month and then you're going to have to get it sent to them. And then they're going to have to process your application so you could be looking at, you know, they might not look at your file for two months after you take that MCAT with processing times and how backlog things get towards the middle of the application cycle. So you gotta take all that into account and do all that math. Um, but I, I can't give you a blanket statement, uh, but don't look at retaking it as, as bad. Um, showing improvement for admissions. so like for admissions people, show, areas of improvement are great things to talk about. Um, so, you know, when somebody asks you, Hey, I noticed you, I've a few times, like, and I, I see like a really good trend here. Like t- talking about that process. That's an opportunity for you to explain how you had a growth mindset and how you adapted under pressure and dealt with failure. You know, like there's so many good things to talk about. So it's not even like, Oh, what if they, what if they ask me about it? It's like, please ask me about that because then I can talk about how I improve. And that's a great thing to talk about.
0: Thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Luke, for sharing your advice. Mina, we thank you in spirit. Yeah, I appreciate it. (laughs) Wish you could have you here, but you know, med students are busy and unfortunately our audio file got corrupted, but anyways, (laughs) see you on the next one. All right. We'll see you guys. Bye. Peace. Thank you so much for joining us on this installment of Comets and Medicine. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to us at commentsandmedicine at gmail.com. Just a quick reminder that anything said in this podcast is reflective of our own beliefs and has no affiliation to UT Dallas or its organizations. Until next time.